Thank you for listening to City Hill Dubai podcast. The Exodus is our brand new series about God's salvation coming through in a time when people are scared and vulnerable. In the series, we also look at questions about finding our identity, our purpose in life, and how to find hope in unprecedented times. Join us in this epic journey where we will discover redemption, identity, and hope. A video format of this series is also available on our YouTube channel, City Hill Dubai. For more information, visit www.cityhillglobal.com. Hi, City Hill. Thanks for joining us to continue our series in Exodus. We are getting close to the end. I'm Mark, and if you're new to us, welcome and thank you for joining us today. We have been doing our series all the way through Exodus, and now we only have two weeks to go. Today, I'm going to be tackling chapters 35 to 39, which mainly look at Israel building the tabernacle as God commanded them to do earlier. Before we dive into this, I'd like to just start with prayer for our time together. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you that we can meet over your word. Bless this time together. Bless these words and help me to speak your words so that we can all grow closer to you through this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So hopefully you've been joining us through the series in Exodus, but if you're new, where are we today? Well, we're with God's people at the foot of Mount Sinai. He's been giving Moses the law. Moses has been up and down Mount Sinai a few times. We're after the Ten Commandments. We're after the golden calf. Moses came down from the mountain, saw the people with, uh, that had built the golden calf at the foot of the mountain, and then he went back up to see God after that incident uh, to re-establish the law and re-establish God's covenant with Israel and to get new tablets because he broke them in, uh, in his rage. So what's happening in this passage today? Most of it, as I mentioned, is looking at Israel actually building the tabernacle as God had described earlier to Moses. But the first part of chapter 35 is actually a small section on the Sabbath. And the Sabbath has been a bit of a recurring theme through Exodus, but mostly just in small snippets. So I thought I'd take this opportunity to address this introduction because I think you'll see it fits nicely with the rest of the passage as we go through it. So I'm going to read now from chapter 35, starting at verse 1. Moses assembled the whole Israelite community and said to them, These are the things the Lord has commanded you to do. For six days work is to be done, but the seventh day shall be your holy day, a Sabbath of rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it must be put to death. Do not light a fire in any of your dwellings on the Sabbath day. So as I said, this isn't the first mention of the Sabbath in Exodus. Some of the uh, mentions before, we can remember chapter 16 when God was giving them the instructions about the manna and the quail that they were going to feed on 
They weren't going to get provided with that on the Sabbath. They had to collect enough the day before to last two days because they weren't to work on the Sabbath. Then obviously it gets mentioned in the Ten Commandments in chapter 20. Uh, In chapter 23, the Sabbath is mentioned not just as a Sabbath day, but also as a Sabbath year. They're to let their fields rest after six years of work, let the fields rest and recover for a year. Uh, Also in chapter 31, the Sabbath is to be a sign to the generations, through the generations, of Israel's covenant with God. Also it mentions, like this passage, that if you work on the Sabbath, you should be put to death. And in chapter 34, just before this, as part of the covenant Moses is making up the mountain with God, God even mentions that during the busy times, like ploughing the fields and during the harvest, the people are to observe the Sabbath and rest. I think this speaks in two ways to us here, and it's quite pertinent as Israel are about to build the tabernacle. First, I think physically we need to rest. Just like the fields need to rest after being ploughed for six years, and even in creation, God worked for six days and rested on the seventh. What this is saying to us is not only do we need rest, but this is time to spend with God. God rested, the fields rested. We need physical rest so that we can be productive like the fields can, but also these other Sabbath references mentioned to rest in God. It's a holy day for rest with him. The Sabbath is not just to be idle uh, and sit down as the Pharisees tried to pick Jesus out for, for picking grains in the field. Jesus said, no, we can do good on the Sabbath. So it's not just for rest, but it's also to rest in God and to spend time with him and getting closer to God and honouring him and making the day holy. The interesting mention in this verse uh, or this passage, if you will, is the, the mention of fire, don't light a fire. This might be because building the tabernacle, they're going to have to do metal work, um, casting the gold, the silver and the bronze. Or it could be also just a reference to, to making food in their houses and a reminder not to do this. I do think it's interesting that through this time, they are still getting their food as a provision of manna from God. So they would have that physical reminder each week that on the Sabbath day, they're not getting provided with food. Yet we still get all these references through Exodus to keep the Sabbath holy and to rest on the Sabbath, even though they're not getting any food on it. Exodus 16 said they will eat manna for 40 years. And at this point, we're only about two years into that. So we know that they are, that's still their food source. How does that affect us? Well, today, as I mentioned, Jesus said, look, it's not about being strictly idle on the Sabbath, but it's about doing good and honouring God. And I think a good example of this is in the story of Martha and Mary, where Jesus goes to Martha's house in Luke chapter 10, verse 41, and Martha is busy rushing around the house with lots of things to do, but Mary sits at Jesus' feet and listens to him. 
This is a great example, I think, of what the Sabbath is about. It's not about running around and doing things. It's about taking that time to honour and reflect on God and draw closer to him, to keep the day holy by honouring him in this way. Because, of course, today it would be tricky for church to run if no one did anything. How would we do things on our Sabbath day? Uh, And even I suppose there's contention about what day of the week we make the Sabbath. So we no longer really hold to the legal strict interpretation that the Pharisees had, but we need to take time to reflect on God and honour God and create a Sabbath. So from that introductory section, we then get uh, four chapters description of building the tabernacle. So I'll just read not all four chapters, but a brief summary at the start and the end, uh, taking up from chapter 35, verse 4. Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver and bronze, blue, purple and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red, and hides of sea cows, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. All who are skilled among you are to come and make everything the Lord has commanded. That's finishing in verse 10. And I'll jump through to the very end of this section, which is chapter 39 in verse 42. The Israelites had done all the work just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Moses inspected the work and saw that they had done it just as the Lord had commanded. So Moses blessed them. Now, I didn't want to cover all the details of what they built, but if you read through it and compare it back to the earlier instructions in chapters 25 to 30, this is the same detail is covered here as before, but just ensuring that what was commanded previously is what the people had done. For example, the table is to be built Two cubits long and one cubit wide was the instruction. And in this follow-up section, they built the table two cubits long and one cubit wide. It's a level of detail that I think repeats and assures that the Israelite people were doing exactly as God had commanded. They're building this house that he will dwell in among his people. So what does this show us about the Israelites and their attitude at this point towards God? I want to bring out three points on this, that they are devoted, that they are willing, and that they are generous. As I mentioned, here we have at the beginning God's instructions to them and at the end Moses checks that they have done everything and it was done exactly as the Lord had commanded. They were particular to get everything just right. 
using the right materials, all those things that were just uh, listed, the different coloured yarns, different stones in the garments for the priests to wear. They were dedicated to the Lord here. We have seen previously in Exodus, they've grumbled when they came out of Egypt. They've doubted the the Lord. Uh, And as I mentioned before, they built the golden calf almost as soon as they were instructed not to build any golden idols to any gods, uh, not even to the Lord. So while the Israelite people have gone back and forth and grumbled and had a bit of a testing relationship with God that made him quite angry in previous chapters, here we see that the people are devoted to doing exactly as the Lord has commanded for them to establish their relationship again with him. So it's devotion and even repentance also from where they had been to coming back and following the Lord's commands to the letter. They are willing. It says in a few verses through this section, but as I read out, the Lord, uh, Moses said, all who are willing. And then in verse 21, all who were willing gave what they had to this cause. And in, verse, uh, in chapter 36, verse 2, Moses summoned Bezalel and Oholiab and every skilled person whom the Lord had given ability and who was willing to come and do the work. There was no compulsion here. It's emphasised again and again, those who were willing. There was no command that you must. This was a request from God for those who were willing. And actually, we don't know how many were willing, who was willing to give, who was willing to to work, who had the skills, aside from these leaders. These guys, uh, Bezalel and Aholiab, were kind of master craftsmen, I guess, and they were instructed to lead and teach the people in in these other skills of working the metal um, as carpentry skills for the acacia beams. But it was clear all who were willing and they were instructed to, to, to give out of their own free will towards this building of God's house, the tabernacle. We see this sentiment also in the New Testament. In 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7, we're told each should give what he has decided to give in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for the Lord loves a cheerful giver. I think this is important for us to remember uh, that we shouldn't feel obliged or compelled to to give, whether it's our time or our skills, um, to the work of the Lord. Uh, This is about giving cheerfully. We should want to help, uh, help the church, help people in need, um, help to spread the word of Jesus. Uh, And as the people here did in the building of the tabernacle, I think that's a good example for how we should be looking forward in our lives uh, and trying not to give of our time or of our money, our possessions, uh, not to give begrudgingly, but to do it willingly and as we move on to generously. The Israelite people actually gave more than was needed. Chapter 36, verse 5 says the people are bringing more than enough. And in verse 36, Moses ordered them to stop. Now, that's quite unheard of. Uh, I don't think I've ever been in a church that said, okay, please stop giving. 
Uh, it's quite unusual, but we can see here it's actually for a specific purpose. Um, and so the people gave freely, generously. It actually said day after day the people kept bringing offerings. Now this is quite uh, quite a statement from the Israelite people who remember at the beginning of Exodus, they were in Egypt as slaves. They probably didn't have very many possessions at that point. And what possessions they have now in the desert is probably just what they plundered from Egypt as they left. We were told that they, they took jewellery from their neighbours as commanded by the Lord when they left Egypt. And now they're just in the desert. They probably don't have much way of you know, supplying for themselves. And they'd already given a lot of their jewellery uh, to build this golden calf. So the fact that they still see this cause, building the house for the Lord, as worthy of giving day after day, uh, is actually a stark example of amazing generosity. Um, there were a lot of Israelites, um, and so we don't really know how much each gave. Again, we don't know how willing, how many were willing, but they kept on giving, um, and they did it generously, which I think is again just showing this is uh, the devotion of the Israelites at this point and their commitment to God and probably actually sets us a good example that we need to be generous. Um, what does generosity look like? Well, let's remember when Jesus was in the temple and he saw lots of people giving, lots of rich people were giving lots of money. But in chapter 12 of Mark, he picked out the widow who gave just a few cents and he commended her because while she wasn't wealthy, she gave what she could. Uh, so I don't really like it when you know the churches are always going on about giving money to the church that's telling you to give money. Uh, I think there's too many probably American generally tele-evangelists, but they're all around the world, people trying to suck money off you for building themselves up or building their own cause up. But I, I don't work for City Hill. Uh, so I'm not getting anything out of it. But we know that it's important to give money to the church so that it can do God's work. Uh, it's not about how much you give, but it's about that willing giving and even in a, a way sacrificial giving so that we know uh, that we're making a sacrifice and giving to, to the furtherment of the kingdom of God. That's what our, our giving is about just like the Israelites here, gave to build God's house, somewhere for him to live among them in the tabernacle in the desert. So now we move on to actually the significance of the tabernacle and our lives as a new tabernacle. So what is the significance of this tabernacle? Why did God need this to be built for him to have a house? Well, as we mentioned in my previous message with Fusi on this, uh, the instructions God gave, there was a specific layout of the tabernacle and a specific way that Israel and their priests were to meet with God and honour him in this. There was a courtyard with one entrance, which was surrounding the tent that was the holy place and then also the most holy place inside the tent. And there was a specific way that the priests were to approach their worship with God. So they would come in 
the, the entrance to the courtyard and there was an altar of sacrifice uh, where they would sacrifice to God uh, an animal and then there was a basin where they could wash themselves to be clean before they would then go into the tent. Uh, and in the holy place, there was a table that the priest would put bread on, like they are meeting with God for a meal on this table. And there was a lampstand uh, kind of representing the light uh, of God shining on them, showing the way, um, and also an altar of incense, uh, which also is in a sense a representation of prayer. So it's, it's them talking to God through this. And then there was the curtain separating them from the most holy place where there was the Ark of the Covenant, the golden box with cherubim on it. And inside uh, the, the Ark was the Ten Commandments on the stone tablets, Aaron's rod or staff that he had in the desert, and also the manna uh, in a jar as a reminder of God's provision to Israel. And this was how Israel would, through generations, relate with God. God comes and resides in this most holy place of the tabernacle with the Ark of the Covenant. And only the high priest can go into the most holy place. Only the priests can go into the holy tent. But how do we relate to God now? And now that we are living in a post-Jesus time where Jesus came to be our high priest and with his death he tore that curtain separating the holy place from the most holy place. What is the temple now? Where is God living among us? Well, we see in 1 Corinthians that our bodies are called the temple of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 6, it says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honour God with your body. So today, if our body is the temple and the Israelites went to all this effort to meticulously build the tabernacle that was the precursor to the, the temple in the Old Testament, what does that mean for our bodies and how we live as the tabernacle? Well, firstly, I want to say this is not about meticulously maintaining our bodies. I say this because some people will use this your body is a temple verse to say you really need to look after your body physically. Uh, And I'm not going to say that what they're suggesting is bad health advice. You probably should maintain a healthy diet. You should exercise. Uh, You should be careful what you put into your body like not uh, not eating and drinking too much, eating and drinking the right things. That That's probably all good health advice, but I don't think that's biblical advice about your body as a temple. And in fact, in our day and age, we probably see a lot of people actually turning their body perhaps more into an idol than into a temple. Uh, I know I'm certainly guilty of probably spending more time exercising and trying to look after myself than actually spending time in the Word of God uh, and reflecting on my relationship with Him. So maybe these people that are actually pushing that line are trying to cover for their own um, obsession or desire to have a healthy body 
Uh, we're also being sold this by companies that are interested in selling diets or diet products. Um, and it, it's sort of the modern image of what it is to be successful is to look good. And that's not what the temple is about. Through all these dis- the descriptions of the temple that the Israelites build, or at least, sorry, the tabernacle, it doesn't actually look that impressive. Certainly not from the outside. There's plain white sheets around the, uh, the courtyard. There are bronze posts that might look nice, but the actual holy place is just covered with animal skins. It probably doesn't look that good from the outside. However, you go inside the holy place and that's where these coloured curtains are with uh, embroidered cherubim. And I think that's quite a good metaphor that we don't actually have to look amazing. It's, it's about what's inside us. Uh, God is interested in our heart, not so much our physical outer shell. Uh, and the Greek word actually here for, for temple is not so much about the building. It refers specifically to the sort of the sanctuary or the place where, um, where God lives inside the temple. Uh, when it says your body should be a temple, it, it's where God lives. So how is God living in us? Well, I want to draw a bit of a parallel with this design of the tabernacle to perhaps how we can see our lives reflecting the tabernacle. Because there was one entrance into this courtyard of the tabernacle, and I think that might also be a reference to there is one way to God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we enter into this life with God through Jesus. And then we get to the altar in the the tabernacle courtyard where there's a sacrifice and we know Jesus was sacrificed for us. Uh, He was the living sacrifice and the ultimate sacrifice so we don't still have these sacrifices on an altar whenever we want to come to God. Beyond that, the basin where the priest had to be clean. Well, Jesus' sacrifice takes away our sin and makes us clean before God so we can go into the tent of meeting and meet with him like the priests did. But this is no longer a physical place. We are to spend time with God and fellowship with him like the priests did where they almost shared a meal around that holy table with the bread. We should spend time with God around a table, around a meal, getting to know him. The lampstand, we should use God as our light Um, to shine the way. This is what we should look to um, for how we should live our lives. And the incense of the altar of prayer, uh, we need to pray to God. This is about being in a relationship with him. Let's remember that God is not a distant God, but he's our father. So we can see in this design of the temple or the tabernacle, as we walk through it, all these different stages that bring our relationship with God. We have Jesus and his sacrifice and meeting with God in the tabernacle. We can now do thanks to Jesus and his sacrifice. It's not only for the high priests to enter into the most holy place. We can relate with God. And this is how we are to be his temple. We are to spend time with God because he is dwelling in us. We need to reflect his character. As I said, this is not about 
being a physical building looking great for God, but we want our lives and our character to reflect God, to reflect what's important to him, and that needs to be important to us. When Jesus began his ministry, straight after his uh, time of being tempted in the desert in Matthew 4, he comes out and he's walking along by the lake and he says, follow me to, uh, to his first disciples. They didn't know who he was at this point. This is right at the start of Matthew, before he's done any miracles, but these people follow him. This is how we are meant to show God's character and be his temple. We need to follow Jesus. Right before that, he said, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Repent of what? We we don't know if these people were doing anything wrong, but most likely they were living their lives for themselves. That's easy for us to do, isn't it? Uh, I know certainly I feel selfish with my time, with my possessions, even around my family. I want to do something. They want to do something that that I'm not interested in. Uh, I can get a bit disgruntled. But I need to lay that down. I need to think of others as God wants us to do. What is God's character? Well, we know when when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? Love the God, uh, sorry, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. That's what we have to reflect in our character. How can we love the people around us? How can we love our God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength? And I think this brings us back to actually where we started today. The Sabbath is not just about rest, but it's about spending time with God. We need to spend that time with him resting resting in him, to know him. Now, most of us probably don't spend that much time in our Bibles with God. That's how we're going to get to know him better, in prayer with him and submitting to him. We need to repent and follow Jesus instead of doing what what we want to do with our time. That can be hard. Uh, I know. It's not what we intrinsically want. But this is how we can be a temple, a holy place that God lives in us. This is how we are the temple today, individually, but also as a church. How can we all together seek God and seek to represent him in this time and in this place? Now, part of showing this character is not just doing good things. Let's be careful with that. All these Israelites, they built the tabernacle, they devoted themselves to it, but actually God is not just interested in what we do, but what is in our hearts. Jesus criticised the Pharisees. In Matthew 23, he says, Woe to you, teachers and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones. This is an important part here of if we get God's character, 
We need this to be in our heart. We can't just be doing good things, thinking that will appease God or trying to please other people. We can't just look good on the outside. God is interested in what's in our heart. That's why spending time with him is important. Seeking to follow him is important. And City Hill, I want to challenge you today. Let's seek God. Let's seek him first. Um, Jesus says to follow him is to deny ourselves and to pick up his cross. We need to be following him and putting down the things that might be important to us and looking to God and seeing what is important to him. If we are to be his temple, his representatives in this world, we need to spend time with him because this is where he lives. He lives in us, in our church. And we need to seek him and do his works the way Jesus loved the people around him and sought to bring people to him. We need to seek those around us with a loving heart for God and a loving heart for those around us. Let's pray to end that we can seek God and deny ourselves and follow him. Heavenly Father, thank you that you came to us in Jesus. Thank you that you sacrificed yourself and your position for us so that you could bring us to you. Help us to seek you, to rest in you, not in ourselves. And help this, help us to see this as where we belong, to be your temple in our world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Hope to see you again soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Exodus series. To find out more about City Hill, visit www.cityhillglobal.com. We'd love to hear from you.